Today's episode of the Mets Up Podcast is sponsored by Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. First off, that's huge. And that's what we use here on the Mets Up Podcast. I highly suggest it. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your own phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many other streaming services. And you're allowed to make money from your podcast from day one with no minimum listenership. It's literally everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So make sure you guys download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. What is up, Mets Up listeners? Back here for episode number 50 of the Mets Up podcast. Of course, I'm your co-host, Giraffe Mark, Mark Luino, here with James Shiano. Jeter had no range, talking about the miserable, awful, terrible St. Louis Cardinal series that we just saw in City Field, which, I mean, we've said this a couple times now, but this is probably signaling the end. This is the beginning of the end. I think it's officially 99.999% over now. I don't really know if I can go 100% just yet because you've seen how we go on this podcast. We're a roller coaster of emotions. We'll go up and down. And we'll go as the seasons go. We'll change if they're playing well, and if they're playing poorly, we'll go the opposite way. And right now, uh, they are playing just not very great. Sweep by the Cardinals is about the last thing this team needed, especially because the Cardinals were ahead of us. Doesn't really matter. Probably going to have to win out the rest of the season to really have a shot. It's just going to take some sort of miracle for this Mets team to get into the playoffs right now. But of course, we're going to go through all the games in depth as we always do. Give you the details, give you our thoughts as we always do on this podcast. Of course, big episode number 50. It's a damn shame that we're basically, you know, waving the white flag here and having our funeral today as well. But it is quite the accomplishment. Thank you guys for listening along. Thank you guys for following, supporting everything that you've done for this podcast. We really do appreciate it here on episode number 50 of the Mets Stop Podcast. If you're not following us on Twitter and Instagram as well as TikTok, at Mets Stop, YouTube channel, Mets Stop Podcast. Yeah, I haven't uploaded anything recently. That one's on me. James is killing it with the audio stuff. I've been slacking video-wise. You're going to see this one on YouTube 100% tomorrow. That's going to be, what, Thursday. It's going to be up there. It's going to be up by mid-afternoon. We have an off day. As well as I'm going to upload the old episodes that we've missed as well. So you guys are going to get like a plethora of video content coming at you. Hopefully you enjoy it. The season's over, but maybe you'll still like it. I don't know. We'll see how it goes. Uh, Make sure you're also listening to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever it is. Drop us a five-star rating. Drop us a review. It really does help us out. James, how you feeling? The funeral. I mean, we talked about possibly going to this game today, which I have a story that I'll briefly talk about at some point, but uh, it seemed like a good thing we didn't go to any game this series. After last night, when you were like, maybe we should go tomorrow, I had this pit in my stomach, and there's there was no way you were getting me the Flushing Queens this evening, because I just felt like John Lester on the mound, the way the Cardinals have been hitting the series, it was just a very eerie feel heading into the game, and my worst fears were realized. Yeah, no, it was not pretty, and just to give you guys a little inside info here, I got what I thought was going to be an amazing deal that I found on StubHub. I found a $28 suite ticket. Now, The saying is, if it's too good to be true, it's because it is. And boy, was that, you know, 100% true with what happened to me. So I bought the ticket. There was only one of them available. Bought it. I was super excited. I tweeted out about it. I'm like, I'm going to have a YouTube video, $28. How I sat in a suite for $28. I mean, that's a banger. Everything was falling right into line. I checked the ticket this morning. It was a parking pass. So despite saying Delta Suite 1, you know, like row 1, ticket 1, 
I got sold the parking pass. StubHub screwed me. The person pulled one over on me. I don't know how they did it. I don't know how they got through it. Luckily, we got my money back here, and it seemed like, a again, a blessing in disguise that I didn't have to go see the horrible Game 3. But it really does start off with Game 1 here. Fucking Adam Wainwright, man. Fuck I know you've been telling me all year long, like, he's actually having a good year, and I love to keep saying he's fake good, and I, I stand by that, but... There is definitely something that he is doing right, and he is a very, very consistent pitcher. He more than gives you a chance to win on a single, you know, every single night that he goes out there. While he's not, you know, the craziest stuff. You don't watch Adam Waring, right, and you don't go, wow, amazing. He doesn't wow you by any means. But boy, does he get the job done, and he did it again. I don't think at any point in Adam Wainwright's career, you would have gone, wow, look at Adam Wainwright. Maybe for a few years stretch between like 2008 and 2011, when he was like consistently up for Cy Young Awards, All-Star, Ace, like bona fide Ace, sure. But this Adam Wainwright is really a testament and a lesson to a lot of, I don't want to say young pitchers out there, but maybe pitchers who are in the middle of their major league careers that... You can always reinvent yourself, and you can always find a way. As long as you are smart, and as long as you really know what you're doing, and as long as you are committed and confident in yourself, you can get guys out, especially when you're Adam Wainwright and you throw like three different curveballs and three different change-ups and three different fastballs, and more importantly, play behind a fantastic St. Louis Cardinals defense, as they have year in and year out. Yeah, the Cardinals play just clean baseball. Uh, it's a little, like at times, outdated, and it looked like that earlier in the season, that they were maybe starting to fall a little bit behind the curve. But watching this series, I mean, they just don't really make mistakes. And that's something that we haven't been able to say about the Mets this year, especially recently. We have not been playing clean baseball, and the Cardinals played a really, really clean series outside of when Edmundo Sosa almost killed the first base umpire, Junior Valentine, in this game. And when um, Jose Rondon made a bad play in the extra innings of Game 2. But Terry Collins actually had a great point about I'll stand. By, by the way, Terry Collins was on the radio this week filling in for Howie Rose. I think CBS Radio, the Mets radio broadcast, are trying out some new people in Howie Rose's absence just because there has not been an opening for Mets color commentary for 50 years. How long, I don't even know how long Howie's been doing it, 40 at least. So we're trying to do guys. Record did some. Uh, Eddie Coleman's been doing some games. And Terry Collins got this series. And he had an incredible point about Wainwright that um, – he works so quickly and in such rhythm that he keeps his defense very engaged. And it's crazy to say because that kind of goes against like modern baseball thinking, but the analytics back it up. The Cardinals lead all of baseball in OAA, which is baseball savant's best defensive metric. It's called outs above average. How many plays your defense makes that is something considered difficult is the best way I could describe it, right? Essentially, I mean, like, it's kind of in the name, outs above average. Like, how many outs above the average fielder are you making? And you have guys like Nolan Arenado, Paul Goldschmidt, even, like, Tommy Edmond, who plays pretty good defense, Harrison Bader, Tyler O'Neill. Everywhere around the field, they have fantastic gloves. Even a guy like Paul DeYoung or Edmundo Sosa, who maybe aren't really hitting this year, still fantastic fielders everywhere. Well, Sosa took that job because he's such a good defender, and Paul DeYoung has proven not to hit. But again... The Cardinals lead off baseball in this stat. After game one, they had 40 outs above average on the season. Adam Wainwright had been on the mound for 23 of them. Yeah, I saw that. I, saw, I think Petriello tweeted that out. And he was like, it wasn't discrediting his stuff, but he was like, he also has gotten an insane amount of help. And why wouldn't he? Because, of course, he's Adam Wainwright and it's the Cardinals. That's what they do. No, but my whole point is that 
going along with Terry said, the way he works and the way he pounds the strike zone, pitches to contact, doesn't waste any pitches. He works very quickly. He gets the ball and he's on the rubber, ready to rock. That keeps your defense engaged. If you have a guy taking a million years up there, it's very easy to get distracted. It's very easy to twiddle your thumbs. It's very easy to fall back on your heels because it's hard to stay on your toes that long. Oh, I completely believe that. I mean, I'm pretty sure, you know, it still translate even from the high school days. Remember, you had guys on the mound that were walking dudes or taking forever to throw. You just, it's hard to focus up every single second of every single baseball game. So if he's working quickly, he's getting ahead in the count, he's attacking batters, and you have these guys that are on their toes at all time, it really does help them keep them in the game. Absolutely, no doubt. And that was the case this game because the only time the Mets were really able to threaten was in the first inning. VR hit a leadoff single because, of course, he did. That's what he does. Pete got a walk and Javi got a walk after Lindor Conforto made out. And then McNeil struck out. On one of Adam Rainwright's really only strikeouts of the entire night and you could feel that he might have reached back and gotten a little bit extra for this one and after the game he actually said that kind of he did he's a rat fuck for that stupid troll fucking quote stabbed me with the knife twisted it's been 15 years i was a child when this happened the 2006 nlcs and he still made it hurt so bad that was the first time i ever threw something because i was so mad i was so mad watching carlos beltran take that curveball i didn't even understand at the time like first off how crazy that whole like scenario was but i just i was so mad i was so upset i think i like flipped an ottoman or whatever it was i was not happy at the brisk young age of 10 and adam wainwright continued to haunt my dreams in this game he was he was just dominant the first time i actually ever did something like that was the end of 2007 season the um the end the tom the carlos delgado fly ball to the warning track to end the season I took like a little rocking chair in my house, like basically a rocking chair for a child, and I whipped it over my head and I slammed it on the ground. And my mom said, James! I was like, what? I'm mad! My dad, I think, did the same thing to me. He's like, Mark! And I was like, I don't know what to do! What do you mean? I'm upset! But just for the listeners at home, if no one heard this Wainwright quote, this is what he said. Recounting his bases loaded strikeout, Jeff McNeil, in the first inning. I like nostalgia. And I felt like Mets fans in a bases loaded situation wanted to see me throw two curveballs in a changeup. I gave the people what they wanted. Rat fuck. Fuck a fucking asshole. <laughs> fucking asshole. But also that's just, that's so well said. It's also just like, you're so in command and the world is moving so slowly. If you just say something like that. It's been 15 years for Adam Wainwright too. I would contend that Adam Wainwright has had, actually no, I'm going to take that back. I was going to say I thought Adam Wainwright's had a more turbulent 15 years than we have, but we've literally completely grown up. We've gone, we've gone from 6th grade to active and functioning adults. Like Things have changed a lot in these 15 years. Adam Wainwright's still in the goddamn Cardinals with Yadier Molina behind the plate. I'm pretty sure when I was watching that game when I was 10 years old, I think I still had like one of those like TVs that was like an entire cabinet i don't think flat screens or flat screens were technically because the screen was flat yeah, it wasn't the a fat you know, tube tv yeah, yeah, yeah. that one's exactly but the rest of this game kind of just meandered as it did i just want to even before we get into this i'm gonna call my shot dylan carlson like i did like jonathan india this guy's gonna be a real problem in the league for the next few years he's a good all-around player he makes contact he barrels up the ball good play discipline he plays very good defense him and Goldie put the Cardinals ahead in the mid-innings this game, and that lead was just never relinquished. No, Mets just could not get to Wainwright, and Dick Mountain pitched really well again. Like, he's something's clicked here in New York, which is, I guess, good for his career maybe, because now he knows what he'll be able to do to continue on forward, like we said in the last episode. If we can't hit, we can't help him out. It was a really good one for Rich Hill. You're right about that. Five innings, three earned, two walks, four Ks. Felt like he was really out there just gutting it out, doing everything he could for his team, but... 
it was very different than these last few starts where we felt like he figured it out because he didn't even throw one slider as listed on Baseball Savant, which is a massive difference from throwing it 15% of the time in his last two outings. He did throw five what Baseball Savant called slow curves because they came in at like 68 miles an hour. He actually threw one 69 miles an hour that Twitter ran with. Nice. Yes, very nice. Good. See, last 69, you did nice. I'm happy we nice this one. Yeah, I, I was feeling down sometimes, you know. I got to cheer myself up. Definitely. But thing that's weird about Rich Hill's slider is he will drop his arm slot a lot to throw it, which is, like, not the best thing to do with any pitchers out there. If you want to throw a pitch, you should do like Wainwright does and tunnel it, like throw everything from the same release point so hitters can't tell. Rich Hill will drop his arm a while, and he did that for the slow curves. So maybe these slow curves were actually slow sliders, and that's how it worked. But it was a fine start, just less clean. I think it's because he wasn't throwing that slider. Yeah, and, you know, despite the solid performance from Rich Hill, again, the big storyline was we couldn't get to Wainwright. And the only real chance we got here was in the eighth inning against Alex Reyes, New Jersey native, Elizabeth, New Jersey. He likes to make things interesting. He has electric stuff, there's no doubt. Like, you want to talk about two polar opposites here. Adam Wainwright doesn't have anything that makes you go, wow, but he gets the job done. Alex Reyes, you watch him pitch and go, holy crap, this guy's got talent out his ass but he sometimes just cannot put it all together. He can almost never put it all together. And his last month has been really brutal after an opening five months of the year where he was like statistically lights out. But if you looked at his whip and you kind of watched him night in, night out, and if anyone plays fantasy baseball, you're probably aware this was going to happen. It just all blew up in his face. Eventually, the long fly balls turned into home runs. Some of the strikeouts turned into walks. And his ERA has ballooned from in the ones to in the threes. Again, in just a few short weeks. And he immediately came on the game, walked Lindor, Conforto hit a single right down the first base line, which was good payback because in the fifth inning, when Dom Smith was on, or and they, Dom had a double, Lindor, and then got on first. It was first and third, two outs. Conforto hit a fucking bullet that landed right in Goldschmidt's glove. Look, fucking look what I found. It was, uh, yep. So annoying. But Conforto swinging the bat well, which is really hilariously stupid consolation prize for the season being over now. It's great that he got hot. So good for him. So happy. He's going to play himself right off this team. <laughs> <laughs> and then wait, Alex Reyes just clicked, and he struck out Pete, Javi, and McNeil, all swinging back to back to back. And you're like, this guy's incredible. Oh, yeah, no. Like, once you saw that first strike, you're like, oh, we're so going to have the side strike out. It's just, that's how the Mets season's been this year. When the first guy strikes out when we have nobody out, you're like, oh, this, the inning's over. It's done. We just haven't been able to get that hit, and we couldn't do it again, and that pretty much was it. I mean, we tried to get a second inning out of Yancey, which was greedy. It was a little crazy, but also the game was somewhat over anyway. I mean, it was. A, I think it was a two- or three-run game at this point, and the Cardinals tacked on, like, four runs after that, so then it was actually over, but uh, Yancey can't really pitch two innings, and I think that there's been a lot of issues with uh, Luis Rojas's bullpen management this series, which will take us into Game 2. Yeah, uh, Rojas has been doing some really, really questionable stuff with the bullpen, some questionable stuff with the pinch hitting recently. All the things that we said positive about Rojas feels like they're getting thrown out the window, and it feels like the writing's on the wall, and it feels like Rojas is gone. He's almost 100% gone. The only thing that doesn't make me think he's going to be gone is the fact that Sandy got the vote of confidence that he's going to stay. Which I think is also batshit crazy. It's literally one of the stupidest things I could ever fathom in my entire life that Sandy Alderson is going to have this role next year. The only way that I guess I would feel comfortable with Sandy is that, go back to, again, the president of baseball ops, you don't actually touch the roster because it seemed like Sandy had his hand in a lot of these roster moves and some of them panned out, but a lot of them were guys like my favorite who comes up in this game, Albert Almora Jr. We're also at the point now where Sandy Alderson has been... um, 
running Mets baseball operations for nine seasons total. He had a break in between, but nine full seasons. You know how many winning seasons the Mets have had in that time? One? Two. Two, okay. Fifteen and oh, sixteen. yeah, yeah. Yep, two seasons. So nine years, seven of them have been losing years, and two of them in the middle, he left because, he, thank God, he got cancer and he's okay, but he let an agent trade away our best asset. <laughs> <laughs> as best as I could possibly say it. That shit's, like, still, like, it doesn't even feel real to say that, that we had a literal agent running the New York Mets. Only the fucking Mets. And a couple agents have done, I mean, I wouldn't say Preller has done well. I think it's this season, the way he's handled the last 18 months, a real chink in the armor from the best farm system in baseball, trading every single prospect he had for middling Major League talent, but... Uh, Bradley Van Wagner, he he should never get a job anywhere again. You know how when people do really good things in the city, they say this guy never has to buy a beer again. Yeah, Bradley Van Van Wagner. Every time he walks into a bar in New York, better buy every single fucking person there a beer because he owes us one. There has to be one Met fan who's going, "Hey, that's Brody Van Wagner. Get him!" <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> and it's like a cartoon road running, just shoots out of there, dust cloud yeah. of smoke. But anyway, enough about Brody. We'll, we'll wallow about the present times instead of the past, which was really not that long ago. Strowman was really good, though. I mean, he's he's awesome. Strowman has turned out to be not just one of the best pitchers on this team, but one of the more consistent pitchers in baseball this year. What is that stat? He has the most, or he's tied with Bueller and Gosman for the most starts with two earned runs or less. Yep. And this start brought him back into a tie with those two guys because every time any of them pitch, they pull back into a tie because all three of those guys give up two earned runs or less every time they touch the mound. And the key with Marcus Stroman on Tuesday night, something I said over and over and over and over again in the last few months, he threw more sliders than sinkers. When he's doing that, you know he has a feel for the pitch, and guys just can't hit it. So those two pitches accounted for 80% of his pitches in this game. So the split change kind of fell out of favor a little bit. He still threw about 12-ish percent of the time, but it's fine. It didn't matter, though, because the slider was, again, completely unhittable. He had eight whiffs on 17 swings of it, which is just an ignorant number, almost 50%. And along with that, he got 10 called strikes with the pitch, good for a 49% CSW rate. So literally half of the sliders that Marcus Stroman threw, more than 40% of his total pitches, resulted in a strike in the catcher's mitt. Not a foul ball, a strike in the catcher's mitt impressive ass stuff and there was even only one hard hit ball off that slider and it was just hit a dinky 96 miles an hour a weak fly ball from Nolan Arenado non-competitive fly ball whatsoever the pitch chart was gorgeous he was just throwing that lowing away the right-handed hitters lowing away the right-handed hitters finding strikes when he needed to then dudding it back outside winds up with six innings eight strikeouts to earn just that one stupid rally and uh, I think that was the fourth inning and and he made that uh that play on the ball that was hit to him, and he rushed the throw yeah, and yeah. threw it away, and that mm-hmm. was that was a rough one as well. Mm-hmm. But eight strikeouts, three hard-hit balls all game. The guy has grown so much this season. He's a borderline ace right now. It's been by far the best storyline of the Mets season, how far Marcus Stroman has come after a year off. Yeah, uh, a lot of people wanted to talk about you know whether Stroman should be here for, for in the first place because a lot of people weren't happy about him taking off the 2020 season, to which, like, who are you to say who should play during COVID or not? And a lot of people probably doubted what he was going to be able to come back and do this year after taking, again, a full season off. And being on the wrong side of 30. Yeah, and being on the wrong side of 30. But Stroman's come out pretty much every single start and been healthy and been good and been consistent. One of the most consistent pitchers in all of baseball. I mean, Bueller and Gosman are Cy Young candidates. I think Stroman is probably in that same range as Wayne right right now of the Cy Young talks. They're on the outskirts, but they'll get a couple votes here and there, I think, because they have both been very solid this year. He has been so huge to this team's relative success imagine if we didn't have Marcus Stroman this year where this team would be I mean we would be dangerously bad Mets would be 
probably like in the fifth, sixth, seventh pick in the draft range. Like they'd be competing with the Marlins right now. And I feel like more so than ever, we've been saying this pretty much since like the first two or three starts of the year. You gotta re-sign Stroman. The consistency it gives you, the fact that he goes out there every five days, the fact that he goes six, seven innings pretty consistently as well, you've got to keep this guy in rotation because when you do have this these injuries and this turmoil and all this stuff come up, he's the one guy that you can look to and go, he's going to be pretty consistent and this stuff shouldn't fall off because he doesn't rely on velocity. It's crazy where his season-long statistics would be if he didn't have that hip issue for the one month in June. Like, his ERA is in the twos anyway. Like, it would be like two three two four. Like, he would be in the Cy Young conversation. He, he would, there would be a shot his whip could be below one if he didn't have those few bad starts in succession. And especially now that he's become so comfortable with off-speed pitches that he's striking guys out at a rate that's better than league average. Like, I didn't think we'd ever see this Marcus Stroman. And I'm truly excited for his future. I hope he hasn't pitched himself off the Mets because of the success. I think uh, the Mets are going to be super aggressive with him. I think... Cohen has talked about this as well, that he wants, you know, guys that are going to help you win, but he also wanted guys that are going to be marketable. He wants guys that are going to be stars, essentially. And Stroman, while maybe isn't a superstar by any means, he's got the personality of a superstar for sure, and that's a guy you want on your team. No doubt. And the shame is that this was all for naught because we just couldn't get to Jake Woodford the way it felt like we were going to in the first inning of this game. Yeah, first inning, what, three singles back-to-back mm-hmm. uh, all in a row. We scored a run real quick, and then we got another run to get two in for the first inning. Yeah. And it was looking great. We're like, there we go. We're hitting Jake Woodford. This guy, he's so unimpressive as well. He just doesn't have anything very good. Dude, he had three whiffs the whole game. Yeah. Like, what the fuck? And this yeah. inning would have been way bigger, but Pete grounded into a like a pretty brutal double play and that was the beginning of a game where he didn't really uh hit well when the time he did get he did get a nice hit in extra innings i kept like a baby rally going but he had a double play in the first he had a double play again later in the game i don't remember he had a big strikeout in the fifth with two on and two out yeah, he snapped the bat on yeah, his knee which he likes to do that sometimes and that was i think Signal an 0 for 19 stretch for him at that point when he snapped that bat. Yeah, he was struggling big time. Um, also, weird, interesting fact Jake Woodford is his high school teammate. They went to high school together and played with each other. Really? And he also had Harrison Bader, who was a Florida teammate yeah. out in center field. Yeah. That's pretty cool. But Pete's been struggling. We've known this from him. He goes through these insane streaks where he is so friggin' ice cold, but then so insanely hot. We got to find that consistency a little bit. All that being said, Pete has had a great year. He's been one of the most consistent oh, no, 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 hitters no. on the team. So it just stinks that it's coming right now and that he, like, in this game particularly. Yeah, I'm not trying to pick on Pete. Pete's been no, one of the best really. players in this team all year. I'm saying, like, in this game specifically, he had three at-bats with men on, and he did probably the worst thing he could have done all three times. Oh, oh. yeah, cru- absolutely crushed us. Yeah, yeah, to just literally destroy all the rallies that happened in this game and allow us not to get as many runs as we could have had off Jake Woodford. The Javi bunt was kind of funny. That was fun. Yeah, but Jake Woodford has no idea how to field a bunt. It's <laughs> just impressive. Like fell over. <laughs> like, the one guy who can't field on the St. Louis Cardinals, Jake uh, Woodford. <laughs> I can't believe this guy's in the rotation. I feel like the big thing to talk about, though, is that we got, what, one hit or two hits after the first inning mm-hmm. until basically the ninth when we had that little rally. The bats went so insanely quiet against nothing, nothing. Jake Woodford did not strike out one Met. I said before, Jake Woodford only got three whiffs. The Mets themselves only struck out four times this entire game. You know how hard that is to do for the Mets? You know how hard that is to do for anybody in Major League Baseball? The way strikeout <laughs> rates have ballooned against all these nonsense pitches. It's, you know how hard it is to put that many balls in play and not score more runs? It's ridiculous. Yeah, Pilar seems like he's cooling off. Nito's 
just swings a pool noodle. He is so back to being the old Tomas Nito, the Nito King, uh, that magic. Whatever was happening for that one month was special, but April boy, May, it is man. gone. That seems like so long ago right now. Feels like forever ago. Uh, nothing was going right. And we also kind of had some weird, let's talk about Luis Rojas now, pitching decisions. Stroman was cruising. Stroman pitching well. I know he had that weird rough inning with the error and took a little bit longer than we would have hoped, but he was cruising. He was dominant for the most part in this game. Gets pulled in after the sixth, and Aaron Loop comes in in the seventh to face the bottom of the order, which felt a little strange, a little peculiar. I know Loop has looked more human recently, but it felt weird. And the reason it felt weird was because what we saw in the eighth inning, with a lead, the Mets threw out Jerry's Familia. And I know I like Jerry's Familia because I say his sinker is one of the nastiest pitches in baseball, which when it's working, it is. But he has not had it recently, and I just, I don't understand how he's even pitching in the eighth. I don't know why. I don't know how. What happened to the depth of this bullpen? May has been struggling, but he's still better than Familia. Lugo was apparently unavailable. I don't know what's going on there with him. So frustrating to see that Familia got the eighth inning. This isn't 2015. I mean, May was definitely super available because he came in to clean up Yuri's Familia's mess because... Tyler O'Neill hit a fucking moonshot, and I think we got to give credit where it's due because Tyler O'Neill's taking a massive step forward this year. I remember during Monday night's telecast, Keith was just going wild over his biceps. They were zooming in on them, circling them on the screen. It was pretty funny. He's massive. Huge. He's, he is a really intriguing player because he hits the ball insanely hard, mm-hmm. runs insanely fast, and has a cannon of an arm with a great glove. He's a five-tool player. You don't find those too often, and he is really coming into his own this season. This has been his breakout year for sure. He like could be an outside linebacker in the NFL. Like he like is that built. Like it's fucking amazing to see him run. But again, he he's still only twenty six years old. Like rookies come he's the same age as Bobby Dahlbeck, which is insane because of how long Tyler O'Neill's been in the league. But you just don't see like Statcast pages like Tyler O'Neill. He's in the ninety fifth percentile in average exit velocity, the ninety eighth percentile in split uh, sprint speed, ninety sixth percentile in barrel rate, ninety sixth percentile in hard hit rate, and then of course the third percent uh, K rate, but that's going to happen. You you play with fire, you're going to get burned. But to start this inning with Yuri's Familia and then bring in May to clean up the mess, it just seems completely ass backwards. It should be the other way. If May is going to come in and stink, Familia is cleaning it up at that point. It doesn't make sense to use what's been one of our best relievers in the cleanup role after Familia. I, I know Stroman, good teammate or whatever, and he was like, you know, that's what our team did. That was our whole plan. Um, Stroman even mentioned about being pulled early that he thinks that it's because he hadn't pitched all last year and they want to make sure about his arm. And even more so after the game, Luis Rojas talking about the decision to pull Stroman early and the reason not to use Lugo. And they said that they were prioritizing arm health over this all hands on deck. Everybody's ready to pitch every single night thing. I I don't know how I feel about that. I, I respect caring about players health and safety, of course, but Shit, man, it's 15 games left in the season. I don't I don't know if these extra two innings is going to really break anyone's arm. I, I can't. I couldn't really fathom Marcus Stroman leaving the game when he did. Also, as just bring back to Tyler O'Neill, he did hit the two hardest balls in this game, which was, I don't want to say it's cool because it was the guy on the other team, but it's impressive when a guy does that in a single game. Home run and a single in the fourth. This also made me think, especially after... Wednesday night's game, watching Seth Lugo struggle for what seems like a lot recently. The Some, fifth time in the last six appearances or whatever. Something might actually be wrong with that guy. He had the slow start to the year because of surgery that I think was undersold to us. He's been pitching with a partially 100%. torn UCL for, what, four years now? It seems like 
the Mets probably know something about Seth Lugo that we do not, and we're going to find out probably sometime in December that Seth Lugo is going to miss the entire next season. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's weird because I was I was hot. I was like, how in the world is Lugo not in this game? Uh, it turned out he was unavailable, and even then, to that point, I was like, he's got to be able to pitch. I don't I don't know what's going on. If he can't pitch, he, you got to find someone who can take it. I don't know. I I'm sure they had. I'm sure Seth Lugo gets very regular MRIs because of that partially torn UCL, and I'm sure that they said like. You really have to be careful right now. Like, this is just, he was used a lot kind of right when he came back. He had those couple weeks in July after the All-Star break where he was used very, very consistently. It seems like something is pretty dramatically wrong with him, especially because he's not effective. Seth Lugo's been one of the most effective relievers in baseball since he was moved to the bullpen. None of this really makes sense. And just because it's the Mets, I'm thinking the worst. And I feel like we haven't been seeing that curveball as much recently, which puts a lot of strain on the elbow. That's true. I mean, there's a lot of research that's been done now that shows that high-velocity fastball has actually put more strain on the elbow than the curveball. Interesting. Yeah. I wonder if the curveball does something to the shoulder, too. I'm sure the curveball does something just because of the way you're snapping it. but that's And that seems like very more elbow. But there's more strain on your arm through high-velocity fastballs, which is why a guy like Wainwright could pitch into oblivion and it never be an issue. Marcus Stroman, all yeah, those guys. Yeah, <laughs> 100%. Why should maybe throw more than 90 pitches? But who, we're not the manager. No, we're not. I didn't like the decision-making this game. Didn't like it one bit. We'll get to that a little bit more because we do have some more decision-making to talk about. We will say uh, one you know, positive here. Thank God for Javi Baez. That guy is just doing exactly what we thought he could do which is kind of just take over this offense. Mm-hmm. He has been unbelievable since coming here. We've talked about in the last few episodes. He is quietly giving us a Cespedes-like trade deadline performance. It's just the Mets aren't winning games, but the numbers are eerily similar. If uh, Jacob deGrom and Noah Syndergaard were healthy, this would be a Cespedes-like performance. We had the actual rotation of guys willing us to victory every night where three runs would actually do it for us because he produced them. I can't even believe what this team would be without him. We have to resign him, right? How, it, it, it's in a have-to, I think, role. I think this is something that we should probably discuss at length on a future episode yeah. because this is a really layered conversation. But I think that people are probably leaning that way now, which is insane to think about from where we were three weeks ago. Oh, super insane. But I think that you know the combination of McNeil's play along with how Javi Baez has played and the fact that he's also played well and Lindor seemed to have been playing well since getting Javi next to him too – I think people are really liking that mood there, liking that mojo, and the dude's been clutch. We talk about it. You make a mistake in the zone, and he is going to make you pay, and he did it again in the ninth inning. Huge home run. Extended the game here. And who did we have come out for the 10th inning? Heath Embry. And Heath Embry's like, God, knocked it out the park. He he did it. He did it. Heath Embry did it. Heath Embry nutted up, and when Javi hit that home run, parlaying into a Heath Embry scoreless 10th inning, where he, I don't want to say dominated, but he was completely in control. Got the nice double play, like, I thought it was all turning around. I know, I, I thought we were rolling the dice and we were rolling everything right. And I was like, oh my goodness, as, as bad as this game was, we figured something out here. This is a steal game, this is the one that we can win and turn this series around. And then the 10th inning happened and we got a guy on third because the guy started on second. We had a guy on first from a VR walk and if VR didn't walk, we'd probably score this Kevin Pillar run, which is also crazy to talk about here too. Lindor just unfortunately hit it to the wrong place. He hit it too hard. He hit a ground ball to first base. Paul Goldschmidt was holding VR on. He didn't hit this one that hard. No, how hard was it? I think it was like 78. I'm oh, all... he did not hit it that this hard. This was okay. the I only guess... ball of the whole game he did not hit hard. Okay, I guess because of the camera and the, the switching, it felt like it was hit harder. But hit it to the wrong spot. Literally, Paul Goldschmidt, if he wasn't holding on Jonathan VR, probably doesn't get to this ball as quickly as he does and probably doesn't get Kevin Pillar out for the double play. Unfortunate. Really a gut punch because, you know, the Mets just find a new way every single night 
to not win games. It's unbelievable. Especially when you know in your head, Heath Hembry pitched the 10th. What's going to happen in the 11th? And what happened in the 11th? Jake Reed happened in the 11th. Didn't even know he was on the team. Me neither. I had no clue he got back up on the team. And Jake Reed, I don't even, I'm not mad at him. What no, are me neither. Yeah. It's kind of like the analogy, like you put a toddler in the front seat of the car and you put the keys in the ignition and you leave. You can't be upset when something bad happens there. No, you can't. Like, Jake Reed's not on him. This game's on the offense. The offense didn't show up when we needed it most. Jake Woodford. Jake Woodford, we were quiet for eight innings or whatever it was. And then even then, we had the opportunities later on to get more runs. We couldn't do it. It's unfortunate. And the, the worst fucking part about this, here's where it gets really bad, is they almost brought it back again in the fucking 11th inning. I know. My God. Scored two runs. Scored two friggin' runs. And who comes up to the plate with a chance to tie this game, give us a lead, but none other than my favorite player on the New York Mets in the Hall of Fame here for my favorites, Albert Almora fucking Jr. My God, I am so sick and tired of this guy. I'm sure he's a nice dude, but holy shit, he's a fucking horrible baseball player. Horrible, horrible, horrible. He's been bad forever. How is he on this team? There's just no reason for Albert Almora to be on this baseball team at this point in the season. We have so much proof that he's not a good hitter, and he's not even a really super dominant fielder anymore, especially when we have a guy like Khalili raking in AAA, dominating, playing good defense, exciting young player, leads the Eastern League in WRC+. As a 22-year-old, very young for the league still. We've learned a lot about Khalili over the last few months. It's really changed our, uh, my opinion personally of him as a prospect and his potential as a baseball player. There's nothing that Albert Moore does better than Khalili. Nothing at all. His ceiling's so high that his floor is where Albert Almora's ceiling starts. It's just Khalili's worst is Albert Almora's best because this guy, for the last three or four years, has been a subpar baseball player. The Cubs, who are looking to pay anybody nothing to just exist in the outfield, said, we don't want you anymore. You were on the World Series team. Don't care. We don't want to pay you $1 million. And the Mets said, how about four? And we also had such a dumb rally to get to this point. Between, again, I said it before, the Jose Rondon misplay and the Pete Fly ball. Kwang Young Kim just pooped himself on a Kevin Pillar dribbler. Like, we had a shot. Everything was falling into place here. And this has happened a few times to the Mets this season where they got to a very critical juncture in a game. I specifically remember that Dodgers Friday night game they snuck into Section 11 for where eventually the Mets just will always have a dead spot in this lineup that you cannot get around, that the bench is already cleared out, and the game's about to be over, and you just are powerless to the game ending, just because the bottom of your roster is so weak. And that's a huge issue that the Mets have to correct going into next season. Builds into what we said last episode. The Brewers, the Rays, the Giants, the Dodgers, they use every single roster spot for something of value. I don't understand what value, and no disrespect to Jake Reed here either, but I don't understand the value that Albert Almora, Almora or even a guy like Jake Reed has that makes you go, they need to be on this major league roster. There's nothing that either of those guys do that make you go, they deserve it over a guy like Khalil Lee or something like that. Especially when you look at the AAA rosters and lineups, those teams you mentioned compared to the Mets, it's literally night and day. The Durham Bulls are competing for championships year in and year out. The Giants AAA lineup has about seven major league caliber hitters in it at all times. Who? Talkman's just chilling out in there, isn't he? Dude, say, say, Slater's been down there. Duggar's been down there. Tyro Estrada's been down there, who just like hits all the time. Darren Ruff was down there for a while. Um, Mauricio Dubon, who's had multiple years of success in the major leagues, was just hanging out down there waiting for his shot. Like These are very talented players. Those teams don't stop their roster building when you get to player 26. They stop the player like 33. 
Like, they just cycle, cycle, cycle. And those teams also, I heard this today on the Rates and Barrels podcast with Eno Saris and Derek Van Riper. They will purposely keep open spots in their 40-man roster that they can burn through waiver claims and see if they can possibly catch lightning in a bottle. Things that other teams this year have done, like the bad teams. You see guys like Connor Joe, Frank Schwindel, Patrick Wisdom get picked up. The Mets haven't really rotated guys like this enough this year. We signed Albert Elmore, Brandon Drury, and Jose Peraza in the offseason. And while two of those three guys have done very good things for this team at times, you just kind of wish it was more fluid and we had an opportunity to get more players because the good players shake out of the waiver wire all the time in Major League Baseball, all the time. We're doing it in our bullpen with Heath Hembry and Brad fucking Hand. But, like, why aren't we just cycling, 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 cycling? See if we can get talent. The bottom of this roster isn't good enough for these guys to have guaranteed roles. So yeah, I'm looking at the Mets' 40-man roster. I mean, here are just some of the names that we, we like to hold on this 40-man roster. Um, some of the guys that you go, uh, hmm, they're, they're taking up a spot. So, looking at some pitchers, uh, Steven Degosik is taking up a spot. I mean, he was okay, but whatever. Thomas Zapuki. I know you need to have some starting pitching depth, but there's just no real upside We're there. We're not cutting Sapucky here. He's still like he still has a modicum of upside. He's a prospect. Blankenhorn. I mean, I'd rather have Blankenhorn up than Albert Amora, and he could at least That's play some outfield. Okay, how about this one, Mark Payton? Who's Mark Payton? I... <laughs> Who? Wait, hold That's... on. He's five foot eight, one eighty. What does he do? Who is this man? That's a creative player. Mark Payton. I need. To, has he ever taken a swing at the major league level? And if he does, has he gotten a hit? Oh my god. Mark Payton is seven for forty. That's better than Albert Almora is doing this year. Whatever. I mean, these are the guys that though that we're using. I can't believe one that we haven't seen Jose Martinez get a spot. I mean, talk about a, a bench bat. That would have been great to have him over at Albert Almora. Who gives a shit about defense? This team can't score fucking runs. You just can't do anything else. You're not taking Pete Alonso out of the game. Like, Jose Martinez on the roster is good, but literally for a mo- Jose Martinez would have been burned already by this point. The problem with Albert Almora is that this was the 11th inning, and we used all of our pitch hitters already. Yeah. This was it. This is why the last player in your team is still very important, especially with this crazy extra inning rule when you always have runs in scoring position, and things are always happening. Yeah, we hit that dead spot. We hit it hard, and we let this one slide, and we're down 2 nothing in the series, and you're like, oh, yeah, like you said, I'm not going to that game tomorrow. There's no way in hell I'm going to Queens. No shot. <laughs> Just one other tip that I talked about Terry Collins um, being on the radio. He's still, he's like very good and he gives good insight because he's a baseball lifer and he's a hilarious guy, very personable, but he still does some things that make me think he's not really media ready yet. He had a quote about Kwang Young Kim where uh, Wayne Rendaz was talking about the stats from the last two years. That he's been pretty good, but had rough patches at times. And they started talking about baseball in Asia because Terry Collins, I'm pretty sure he managed in either Japan or in Korea for a few years, correct? I'm, I'm pretty sure he had uh, a good portion of his career in Asia. Yeah, yeah. So he said that Kwang Young Kim is a good pitcher, and then that, that South Korean baseball league is a really good league, even though it's all Asian. Oh, <laughs> yeah, Terry. Like, <laughs> like, ah. We knew what he was trying to say. Just I knew 100% what so he wrong. meant, but it just came out in a very old man way. Yes, that's very much it, like that again. Like if you're if you are getting like I feel like um, offended by that, you're really looking too much into it. I don't think there was any hate behind it. I don't think there was any malice. It was just he's, he's like ah the South Koreans like for a South Korean league, it's not that bad. No, it's pretty good. Ba- he said they play pretty good baseball over there for being in Asia. <laughs> it's ridiculous, crazy. That's that's a wild quote. Uh, yeah, lead us into game three now. After that wild c- quote, um, d- yep. Bye. Season's See over. This was Smell fun. you later. I mean, at least the good thing here was that the Band-Aid got ripped off. <laughs> I mean, within the first 15 minutes of this game, McGill just got smacked around five runs like it was nothing. The Cardinals were not swinging and missing. And even when they were down 0-2, 1-2 in counts, they were just teeing off. I mean, they looked incredibly comfortable at the plate. Uh, the command wasn't really there. 
The fastball wasn't really there. Nothing was really there for McGill. And honestly, I turned it off after I saw the five-run first inning. I had enough. I was like, this team, I can't. They're not coming back from this. They're not. And I know they they scrapped a little bit. They they fought a little bit. But that was that's the sign of the end right there. It's over. I don't even have McGill breakdown for this. He just got beat a lot. This game was only 2 nothing with two outs. And then he just allowed more hits to Dylan Carlson, Harrison Bader. Could not get out of it. Didn't really have the... um the moxie that we've loved so much from him this year. It was just really brutal. This was brutal. Paul Goldschmidt had one hell of a series. My God, is that guy still really good? Yeah, he's very, very good. Uh, Same thing with Nolan Arenado, who's also incredibly good. Uh, Just a little personal thing here. A lot of people, oh, he can't hit outside of Coors. He's having like one of the best seasons of his career in St. Louis, which is like a very hard place to hit. Not necessarily OPS-wise, but his WRC+, plus, I believe, is right around where it has been in Colorado before. Just to push back on that, it's not necessarily true. He's still definitely an above-average hitter, but he's not like the massive power threat he's always been. He has 31 w- homers, 32 doubles? No, sure, it's pretty good, but he has WRC+, plus is sitting in the nice 120s, 130s all that time at Colorado. It's a clean 113 this year. He's a 3.5-win player. That's fine. He's going to end the year okay. with four, as a 4-win player, but he was a 5-6-win player before that. So that's a pretty big difference. But you have to expect that going from Coors to Bush. Not because guys can't hit out of Coors, but because Bush Stadium is one of the hardest to hit in all of baseball. It is. It's yeah. truly. And you just, a guy like Nolan Arenado, you're seeing the same pitchers year in and year out. So it takes a little while. Similarly to how I think Paul Goldschmidt had two kind of pedestrian seasons after coming to St. Louis. And this year has now exploded to looking like the MVP caliber player he was for the majority of his career yeah just a really annoying team the st louis cardinals Super so annoying, annoying. they've been a thorn in our side forever and they definitely were again this year and they're doing it to the entire league somehow snuck up into the second wild card spot they're gonna play the dodgers in a one game series and they're gonna beat the dodgers we just we just know it's gonna happen Does, if adam wainwright goes out and beats max scherzer i'm gonna i don't even i'm gonna have to rethink everything i know about baseball well get ready to have that thought because it's going to happen i mean God, man, it, it stinks to lose the season at any point. It really stinks to the Cardinals who have done it to us so often in our lifetimes. I wanted to go back and find some other times the Cardinals have ripped the Mets' heart out. And going into this year, the Mets actually have had an above 500 record against the Cardinals since 2006, which I was really? shocked about. Shock- I was literally creating like a whole monologue narrative that I was going to say about the, all these times the series the Mets have played against the Cardinals. It's just not true. That's shocking to me right especially because of how bad the Mets were for some of those years and how good the Cardinals were but I don't want to say we've had their number but we've basically just treaded water against them which is fine against an organization like this hmm interesting well not this year nah. they fucking stomped our faces in, in in flushing and in St. Louis too we got crushed then too back in oh, fucking yeah. May that was a terrible that was a series. series yeah that was a rough one too these are two of the worst series of the year <sighs> this, uh, the Cardinals thorn in our side I, I do we even want to talk anything more about this game you got anything you want to bring up i mean i know i think pete did a home run right yeah pete did a home run like big shit and he yeah, almost whatever. hit another one in freaking lars taylor tatsuji Nupar. his middle name taylor tatsuji he's all over the place he's dutch he's japanese he's got taylor in there which is about as american as it can get lars Nupar. What a game by him, too. That guy's been... Because this is what the Cardinals do. They just pull guys out of their ass, as they always do. They always do, and they always just find, like, random corner outfielders who are good. My guy Lane Thomas, Cardinals cast-off, is having another fantastic week over there hitting leadoff for the Washington Nationals. The guy's going to be a good player, no doubt. And I just thought it was funny that we all wanted to see Lugo so bad last night, and he gave up two fucking moonshots to Goldsmith and Arenado. <laughs> Which was cool. I think something might be wrong. And then Heath Hembry was just ripped to shreds. Just threw him to the dogs. He was well, annihilated. They, they saw him twice in two days. You can't expect Heath Hembry to go out and give you two innings of good play. They have a shot if I saw Heath Hembry twice in two days. 
Uh, Brad Hand got a one, two, three inning. <laughs> this is like that's how you know something's fucking wrong. Something bad. Let me tell you something. Brad Hand, he's gotten here. The juju has been all over the place. The juju's been bad all year, but Brad Hand's gotten here, and I have been a an emotional mess with this team. Nothing kills my vibe like Brad Hand's mustache. Oh, it's the worst. Shave that fucking caterpillar above your lip. I'd love to just sh- fucking shave Brad Hand's mustache off. Oh my <laughs> god, I can't stand this guy. Should be if it was a charity thing. How much money would you pay to shave off Brad Hand's mustache? A few hundred, easy. Hundred <laughs> percent. You might win. I think I would. I would be happily. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just have like a really old corroded razor. Yeah. <laughs> Rusty. Get a couple cuts, gets tetanus. <laughs> How you doing, Brad? Hey, I'm, I'm your barber today. <laughs> have a straight edge. <laughs> a dull a dull razor. Let's <laughs> <laughs> go Edward Scissor hands. Well, while we're laughing, uh that's probably about the only enjoyment we got out of this because boy, the season is over. Uh it's done. It is going to be, like I said at the beginning of the podcast, almost impossible for the Mets to come back here. Uh right now, looking at the standings. The Mets are five and a half out of first in the National League East. And in the wild card, we are five games out of St. Louis. Yeah, didn't do us any favors. Would have been nice to beat St. Louis, huh? This is exactly where we were like a week and a half ago before that big national series. We're like, we got to make up ground right now. Nothing's changed. Nothing has changed. This team is just doomed to be right around that 81-81 record. It's unbelievable. Oh, that would be awful if we just wind up 81-81. I'd almost rather be under 500 at that point. Get the get the better draft pick. <laughs> we're at the point. Let's tank. I mean, we don't know if we're going to sign that draft pick. So let's just let's just let's just let's walk for, cross that bridge when we get to it. Tank for Termar, Termar Johnson. That's a kid to keep an eye out for. Oh jeez, want to do the Phillies preview? Yeah, sure. Let's let's talk about the Phillies preview. Which I, this this is a series that I would just like to win just for my own personal feelings because I love to trash the Phillies. All things Philadelphia. It's a garbage city filled with garbage people. You guys know where I stand on that city. James, not so much. I think it's important. James likes the city of Philly. Do. Does not like the Phillies, though. He no, does no, not no. like that team. I hate the Phillies. If any Mets fan wants a silver lining for this awful series, is that we'll get to face Zach Wheeler on Friday. Oh, sick. <laughs> Wonderful. After <laughs> and, a heartbreaking series, we get to get a complete game shutout one hitter. You know what's even better? We face Aaron Nola on Saturday. Oh, sweet. So he's going to strike out 10 batters in a row and break a record. Yep. And then the Mets, for some reason are once again playing on Sunday Night Baseball this weekend. That's got to be flexed out. There's no way that these two teams should be on Sunday Night Baseball. There has to be a better matchup. We don't flex, and it's Ridge Hill versus Kyle Gibson. <laughs> Electric matchup. Electric for sun- Ooh, Sunday Night Baseball. I'm sure that's going to be the highest numbers of the year. ESPN really knows how to get the asses in the seats going up against Sunday Night Football. They really knew how to focus in on this one. Maybe that's why. Maybe they're just pun- just like the Mets have done this year. Maybe they're punting, and they're like, ah, whatever. I Just for people who follow me on Twitter, I've gotten to... Uh, Jim Trestle memes. I'm ready to punt stat whenever a, a high-profile college or NFL team either punts or doesn't punt in a in a situation where they either should punt or should not punt. It's going to be fun. What a miserable, miserable series we just saw. Phillies won. I do we? I don't even want to do predictions for it because who cares? Let's. What's just... the prediction? Yeah, I mean Zach Wheeler is going to crush us. Aaron yeah. Dole is going to kill us, and then Kyle Gibson is going to lull us to sleep. Yeah, so uh, we'll just uh, play respectable baseball. Maybe I don't know. Try not to get too embarrassed. Don't get. Uh, maybe just don't make it chippy. Don't embarrass yourself. Don't anybody get hurt. I guess. But what are you going to get hurt for? We're playing next week. We go to Boston, to Milwaukee. Like we're not going to win those games at all. We we have a nice time off. Everyone just get ready for your trips. Make sure your golf swing is ready and ready to play. Get a nice new bathing suit when you go down Play to Cancun. Play for your spot next year. I mean, I think these guys have all lost the spots. I don't even know what anyone can do to earn their spots over the next week and a half. I'd like to see McNeil play a, little, a lot better. He's been struggling like crazy. I'd like to see JD get some more at-bats. Even give Dom a few now. Let's see what everybody's got. I think Pete's due for a night off. Go ahead, play Dom at first base if you want to. Yeah, but I want to see Pete get to 40 homers. 
Ooh, yeah, I would like to see 40 from Pete. That is true. All right, play Dom in right field one game, sick Conforto. He's gonna he's a free agent. Gotta see what some of these guys got left here. I, I don't know. I'm trying to find anything with this season to care about for the rest of the way. It's hard. I have nothing right now. I also realize Pete only has 33, so that's even a tall task for him to get to four. <laughs> Seven in 15 games. He's done it before. That would be quite the stretch. You know what? We're ro- Pete to 40. That's what I'm watching for. Pete's going to get to 40. Pete to if it 40. wasn't for fucking Lars Nupar Robin, it'd be one closer. <laughs> Lars Nupar. That's a fake name. Unbelievable. He made a sick catch, too. In right field. You, you can't rob an opposite field home run. That's criminal. He's a fine little player, Lars Nupar. I will say that. Well, I think that's going to take us here to the end of episode number 50. Really wish that we could have been celebrating. Would have been nice. This could have been around the time where we could have clinched a playoff spot, maybe, if this team had any sort of killer instinct in them because we let the Braves and Phillies hang around for... 10 fucking weeks while we were just picking our nose and doing nothing. But uh, yeah, episode 50 is a somber one. It is the season is officially over part two, uh, which you guys have you know already heard part one. But thank you guys for listening. Thank you for watching. Uh, make sure you're following us on Twitter and Instagram as well as TikTok at Messed Up, the YouTube channel Messed Up Podcast. Drop James a follow on Twitter at Cheater Had No Range. Myself, Mark, Giraffe Nick Mark. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you for watching. Drop us a five star rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Drop us a review. We'll catch you after the Philly series. Even though the season's over, we're not stopping. See you next time. See you later, guys. Water in an endless sea. Oh.